Hello, everyone, and welcome to Six Pack of Facts, a weekly way of expanding your brain, six refreshing facts at a time. My name is Alex, and this week, it's time for a visit to the beach and a trip back in time to the Middle Ages. We're talking sand and castles. To kick things off, let's focus in on beach sand. Sandy beaches are dynamic, meaning that the sand there accumulates very slowly over time. Material travels down a coast due to longshore drift, waves that approach the shore from an angle and then recede directly away from it, is removed by large waves during storms, and can be deposited again by the same process over and over. Beach sand is usually made from materials weathered away from inland rocks or sea cliffs, or from the tiny shells of marine creatures. There's no one official designation or classification system for sand. Under the Unified Soil Classification System, sand is defined as particles with a diameter between 0.074 and 4.75 millimeters. Another system used by geologists defines sand as particles ranging from diameters of 0.0625 millimeters to 2 millimeters. This makes sand bigger than silt, but smaller than gravel, a particulate middle child, as it were. Regardless of exact classification systems, there are a lot of different types of sand. Coral, volcanic, gypsum, silica, black, lithic, biogenic, garnet, quartz, and even glass. Sand that's actually made of tiny particles of human-made glass. Which is cool that the material is now sand, but a bit of a bummer that it had to be discarded to become that way in the first place. Sand, beyond being coarse and rough and irritating and getting everywhere, has a story to tell. Scientists can study the makeup of sand at a particular beach to track its origin through certain landmasses that have an abundance of the parent material, judge the health of nearby marine ecosystems by the number of shells in the sand, and the ocean activity in the area by the smoothness and size of the sand grains. One of the most impressive features created by sand, naturally at least, are dunes. These sometimes giant hills of sand need three things to form. A large amount of loose sand not held down by any vegetation, wind, and an object to make the sand lose momentum, which can be as big as a tree or small as a rock. When these three ingredients are present, you're going to get some dunes. As the wind picks up, sand is carried in three different ways. Saltation, sand moving in the wind. This makes up about 95% of moved sand. Creep. Sand that gets bumped by grains in the wind. About 4% of sand moves this way. And suspension. Sand that's lifted high into the air and then deposited somewhere. Only about 1% of sand is moved this way. As sand grains move in these three ways, heavier grains pile up on the wind side of the forming dune, while lighter particles fall to the other side. Eventually, the pile becomes too steep to hold itself up, usually at an angle of 30 to 34 degrees, or the angle of repose, and collapses down. Repeat this process over and over, and you've got yourself a lot of dunes. Thanks to the aforementioned wind, dunes can actually migrate across the land. Some villages in China, for example, are facing encroaching sand dunes at around 65 feet every year. Of course, wind and sand, in whatever form it may take, are present on other celestial bodies than Earth. We've observed dunes on Mars, Titan, and don't even get me started about the dunes on Tatooine, Geonosis, and Jakku. 
Let's end our Sandy journey with a bit of a different spin. Carl Sagan once said there are more stars in the universe than grains of sand on Earth. Was Sagan telling the truth? Researchers at the University of Hawaii ran a few estimates and came up with the very rough answer. By assuming the size of the grain of sand, calculating how many of those grains would be in a teaspoon, and then multiplying that by all the beaches and deserts on Earth, it came to around 7.5 times 10 to the 18th grains. 7 quintillion 500 quadrillion grains. A bunch of grains. But space is, well, space. And it's unbelievably gigantic. The researchers estimated around 70,000 million 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 stars in the observable universe. Stars win. All the sand in the world isn't going to protect you from an invading army, unless they're of the tiny green plastic kind. For that, you'll need something with a bit more defense. Time for castles. While we're pretty conditioned to think of gigantic stone structures when we hear the word castle, the buildings actually had several different forms before reaching that iteration. In the early Middle Ages, castles, we're focusing on the European iterations of the structures here, consisted primarily of just earth. Mounds of earth would be built up to slow the advances of invading armies, which was a pretty solid tactic, but needed a bit more spice. And that's when the Mott and Bailey castles came along. In the 1000s, which is a very weird year to say, the Mott and Bailey castle was favored thanks to its relative ease of construction and effectiveness against invaders. The Mott was a mound of earth with a ditch surrounding its base. A keep or castle was placed on top of it where defenders took their positions. The bailey was the flat area of land that sprawled out at the base of the mott. A bailey was surrounded by some sort of fence and another ditch and held a number of buildings including workshops, barracks, and stables. Castles continued to evolve bit by bit. Wood, easily burned by incoming armies, was swapped out for stone. Gothic-style castles, later becoming the subject of many spooky stories, came to the forefront in the mid-medieval era, and concentric castles, which were extra fortified thanks to several rings of stone walls, became all the rage in about 1270. But from about the 1500s on, there was much less of a focus, and a need, for defensive keeps, not to mention gunpowder rendered even the sturdiest stone walls kind of moot. So castles took on a much more ornamental purpose, and even further on, symbols of storybook fantasies. In our modern world, there's always the very real possibility of being thrown back in time. So let's take a look at some common methods of laying siege to a castle. You know, just in case you need to conquer a rival king's territory in your new medieval life. First, you could scale the walls. Invaders sometimes brought along ladders with them and propped them up against the castle's outer walls. Soldiers would then climb up and pop right over, if they weren't toppled over by castle dwellers in the process, of course. Similarly, invaders would sometimes build wheeled towers, fill them up with soldiers, and roll them over to the outer wall. Then, soldiers would plop a wooden plank across the gap and stroll over, if they weren't set ablaze by flaming arrows, of course. If climbing doesn't work so well, you could try ramming the gate with a battering ram. It's going to take some elbow grease, and you very well could be pincushioned by archers or doused with scalding oil through a murder hole in the ceiling of the entrance's arch. Yes, they were actually called murder holes, 
but it could work, who knows. But if all that fails and you're worried your time-traveling escapades are going to be all for naught, there's another pretty solid option. Just wait it out. When invaders establish enough of a presence in the land surrounding a castle, they sometimes just waited until everyone inside the castle began to starve or run out of water. We can't end the episode without talking about the combo of our two topics. Sand. Castles. Scooping a big bucket of sand and plopping it down is a surefire way to have a little bit of fun in the sun. But it's not the sun you should thank for your beachy castle, it's the water. Every sandcastle built is the direct result of surface tension. Water molecules coat the individual grains of sand to form tiny liquid bridges in the gaps between them. Too much water, and the sand will basically liquefy into a mush. Too little water, and it won't stick together. But just the right amount, about an 8 to 1 sand to water ratio, and you'll have the perfect medium for your creation. This building trick has been put to good use on tons of beaches, but one project in particular is super impressive. In 2019, a team of 12 sculptors and 8 technicians from Russia spent three and a half weeks building a sandcastle that rose 57 feet and 11 inches from the ground. No internal structures were used to prop the castle up, and no additives were mixed in the sand and water. The feat was actually the third time the team had attempted it. The first try collapsed just three days before completion, and a flock of swallows brought the second castle crumbling down. And there you have it. The tiny rock and shell world of sand, the defensive wood and stone power of castles, and the collision of the two. Until next time, put on that sunscreen, and as always, stay thirsty. Unless it's really hot out, then probably drink some water. Can't get enough of these refreshing facts? There are three easy ways you can help support the show. If you're listening through Apple Podcasts, leave a quick review. Then, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Then, share the show with a friend. The more, the factier. Stay thirsty.